live for another episode of First Strike. But before we start the show, got to plug our sponsor, facefacegames.com, the number one place to get your Magic the Gathering singles. And to all our patrons from patreon.com slash first strike, uh, get into our First Strike Nation, get, get to see all the deck lists that Rob and Brian are putting into the nation, all the pictures, and they constantly respond to questions. I had one person say, like, people should ask more questions in the nation because they keep getting answers from these guys, really good answers, too. So make sure you ask those questions, especially if you're a member. But for more information about that, again, go to patreon.com slash first strike. Today's episode uh, episode episode's really special because we've got almost the entire original crew back. It's been a while since Brian and Rob are in the same virtual room. So glad to have these two voices. How's it going, gentlemen? Life's good. Is Brian here? I can't see his face. I'm not sure if it's just like an old recording where someone's played it back. I, I thought about maybe just not saying anything the entire episode. So it's just like a picture of me in the corner, but I'm not actually here. I feel like that would be really next level. And Car can just like pretend I'm here the whole time. <laughs> and besides these two guys, the, the original duo, one of the original pairings that we had, much loved by the fans. We've got Dagger 4 back in the house. A lot of people have missed you. Uh, I'm surprised about that. It's, <laughs> people, it's cool to see that, I guess. <laughs> people have tweeted for your return. They wanted to see you come back, wanted to see how you were doing, and they wanted to see some fresh voices or some different opinions because they felt like Rob and some of the others or, or Brian were, were too – like no one was here to tell them the automaton was like the best draft <laughs> pick, you know, stuff like that. We needed you. It turns out you need people who aren't very good at magic to That's cause what I was going to say. They've been looking for someone who's good. wrong about everything. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> everything That's, wrong. That's why they need me here. So I'm happy to level, as per usual, to have not, you know, gone to the temple to learn how to become a better magic player since I've been gone. I've been doing many different things. So I'm probably worse than I was before. So it'll be great. All right. So you've been... Busy starting up your own gaming cafe. Uh, when did it open? Yes, I have. Yes, I have. It's been, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a, a very interesting last few months. We launched Waypoint uh, Saturday, so it's just over a week now. Um, yeah, it's great. It's super fun. It's everything I wanted it to be and more. So excited. Um, what difficulties, like early difficulties, have you not, did you not expect? Um, because you, you had planned to start before the year and then it shifted into 2018. Yeah, very naive about my expectations for the store. I, I, uh, I signed the lease for the place that I'm in right now in October. My expectation was, yeah, I'll be open before Christmas. But um, it is now February and I just opened. I mean, realistically, it's just there's there's a lot of things I didn't foresee. This is my first business. This is my first launch of anything. So a lot of things related to permits and because we're a restaurant as well as a cafe or as, as a magic store, there's a lot of kind of small things I didn't think about that have now been taking an extra two and a half months to open. But here now, I'm happy. It's good. It's good. Okay, so what, what's it all about? The, the cafe, it's, it's a board game type place where, where you can yeah, eat and drink so, and stuff? Yeah, we kind of wanted to do the board game cafe thing, but do it a little bit differently in terms of what kind of food we're offering. Like, I, I can see if I can move this. Let's get it 
shot of the kitchen, but like we have a full kitchen in the back that's got you know a super talented chef back there right now. You guys might know him, Rob Barsky. He's actually a patron of First Strike. Um, so we're, we're we're trying to kind of break the mold in terms of board game cafes that kind of just do you know nachos and popcorn and candy. We're doing real food, real sandwiches, really good stuff, um, and just a really sweet kind of place. Like it's really big. I'll see if I can get a shot behind me. But there's a lot of tables out there. Um, it's empty right now, which is good for me doing this this little brief introduction to the store. But yeah, tons of space and kind of a little bit higher quality on the food and presentation. So that's what we're going for. Like the, the room is, is, looks really big. <laughs> it's big. It is big. I can easily see, I want to say 50 to 60 people comfortably in that main area. And then I got some other spots. If, if I wanted to do it magic store style, I can only seat about a hundred, but I don't want to go down that route. So yeah, it's, it's a big space, but I'm, I'm really happy with it. Uh, how magic focused do you plan for it to be? I think that's kind of been an interesting balancing act right now is trying to keep it family friendly, you know, trying to keep it a space that people who don't feel comfortable coming into. And at the same time, having, you know, weekly tournaments that magic players actually want to go to Um, right now, just because I'm still so fresh in terms of marketing the place to those who don't play magic, I'm pretty magic focused. Like the bulk of my traffic is magic players coming to tournaments. Um, but yeah, as, as time goes on, I might have to flex that a little bit. We do have a really sweet, uh, selection of singles, which were not mine, but brought in from consignment from a a friend of mine who has a really great collection. So that's helped as well. Um, so yeah, balancing that's going to be interesting for over the next few months, but right now it's, it's, it's pretty heavily magic focused. Well, uh, just so I didn't hear you wrong, it's basically because of your original fan base. or Yeah, exactly. Like, pretty much all of the traction I have in the store is just from people who knew that I was already opening um, and kind of local people who have been following me on Facebook. Um, I'm reaching out to the universities now, and I'm reaching out to some other local businesses to try to drum up some more interest from kind of uh, just people who live nearby that like board games. Um, but yeah, the magic community in Hamilton and in the Dundas area is pretty well aware of me and have been for a while now. So that was nice to kind of hit the ground running with them. Uh, these places, when they, when they've slowly started to open up, like, especially in Montreal and other places, I, I sometimes wonder where, where they make the, the bulk of their money, especially yeah. if you think like, you think of some customers that just come in and play and leave or, you know, don't drink yeah. or even at I the mean, local face-to-face games we had. Recently, we had people come in and play Dungeons and Dragons, and they're not—they're probably not buying a new D and D book every week. So, like, even a lot of these places have uh, Randolphs in Montreal downtown. We have—they they hire people specifically to teach you some of the new games. So they're also on the on the payroll. Yeah, there's there's a lot of. Um, I mean, that's really the problem with magic stores in general, right? Is that you have these people occupying space for an extended period of time that aren't actually generating you any dollars per hour they're there, right? The benefit to Waypoint is that we have such good food and we have really good drinks and we're going to be licensed very soon that that kind of, like the incentive for people to come in and just not eat and not spend any money is almost zero. We have had people come in occasionally to do that, but it's like, 
it's so few and far between. And that's kind of what I was trying to do with this place is just say, you know, um, not to leverage the fact that people are in, in the, in the space, but take advantage or try to get as much, you know, as many as you can per person that's in here. And, and that's, you gotta have a good, you gotta have good food. You gotta have good product and you gotta have a good space. And that's what I've been really. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's awesome. Cause all these places are not known for the good food. It's like it's just a nice place to have a drink and play a free, it's free to play games and stuff like that. So that's a, place to check yeah, out. Yeah, I mean, also, I should say, I should say this, it's a pretty standard, at least in southern Ontario and in, in the Toronto area and even in Hamilton, for there to just be a flat fee for people to come in and play board games. That's what we have, it's just five bucks ahead, a limited play all day as you want, and kids under 12 are half price. So that's also a way that, you know, the cafe is generating some money on the side, but yeah, I think, I think one of the big problems with a lot of these is they're just kind of pushing it as like, you know, we, we have a, a microwave in the back and, and, you know, heat up some, some chips for you. And it's like, well, I mean, if I wanted that food, I could have just gone to McDonald's before I came here. Like, I cater to people who actual enjoyable dining experience and have some fun at the same time. So that's been resonating really well in the community that I'm in. And I'm hoping I can um, kind of keep up that going forward. Yeah, I wonder if that's... a uh, apologize to the audience. You're sort of breaking up a bit, Vince, but I understand you. Uh, sorry. I think okay. That's uh, one of the reasons Face Face Games Toronto was so successful. They, they had they were marketing their food, their sandwiches, their different. Uh, they even named some of them, and it was getting a lot of hype. So I'm glad. I'm hoping yeah, we, that the same success goes to you. Yeah, Face to Face Toronto did a really good job with that, and they they did an incredible job working with a very small space for the kitchen. I, I have respect for them for doing that. Um, I don't know if I'm still being really choppy. Sorry about that. But we have a we have a pretty pretty well sized kitchen for the space, which is nice. It allows us to do some more unique things with our menu. So, yeah, I totally I totally agree with you. Facebook did a really good job. There's there's other places that are also doing a pretty good job here. I'm trying to kind of emulate that their success. Right, um, Rob. Rob, you've been to the store. Oh yeah, <laughs> I've been there since the pre-beginning. <laughs> oh yeah, you were showing me the pictures of uh, of the washroom. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I I was there for all of Vince's escapades, trying to get <laughs> a different location for like three or four months. Uh, but I think that um, actually ended up working out for you because like this spot is actually better than the other spots that you might have ended up with, especially like just the cleanliness and the areas. Agreed. It's tight. It's going to be good. Is it like out of the way for you, Rob, to go check out? Uh, it's it's out of the way if I'm at my house, but it's on the way if I'm coming from work. So for like Tuesday or Friday night magic or something like that, um, it actually works out pretty decently. Ooh. Haven't you sworn off LGSs? <laughs> yeah, but uh, I think that, <laughs> that'll be changing. <laughs> He unfortunately has to veto that himself because I made him. So <laughs> the thing about like most LGSs is that like you just go there to to play an event, right? Like really, that's it. You're just like grinding uh, matches and and credit. And like I didn't have any interest in doing that uh, for quite a, quite a while, I guess. Um, but uh, this is different. Like now, kind of everyone in our group is like back at the same spot where like. Uh, we used to play in Dundas before. The store closed down, and everyone kind of broke up. 
and everyone ended up like a lot of people ended up at different stores or some people stopped playing. So now like everyone's kind of back in the same spots and there's like good food and good coffee and good atmosphere and stuff. So it's, it's not like I'm, you're just going to a magic event to just like sit there and like, you know, try and grind credit and, and stay like EV positive or whatever. It's more kind of like an, an outing. Um, and the Mac and cheese is just the bomb. Can't get enough of it to be fair. <laughs> uh, Brian, Brian was supposed to come visit you, but unfortunately he, he failed. He failed to, to get there. And he said his, his plan in magic is to get really lucky. And I guess he got somewhat lucky, right, Brian? Reasonably lucky. Yeah. I wanted to go see Vince on Sunday. I was assuming I would do poorly in the tournament when I was up at GP Toronto. Um, because I didn't really prepare or practice or <laughs> really have high expectations for myself. But things went a little bit better than I anticipated, and I was unable to make it over to the store. So I'll have to wait to the next GP Toronto, and then I'll, I'll swing by and check it out. We had reverse results, Brian. I practiced a lot, and I 0-3 dropped, didn't come back on Sunday. You just uh, you know, were winging it <laughs> with plans to like go adventuring around Toronto, and we're stuck at the event site all weekend. Yeah, that's generally how it goes, right? (laughs) I find that my level of preparation often is inverse to my success. And I, for the life of me, don't understand why that's the case. But it's proven to be true quite a few times. So um, I don't know. I guess like I I can't really stop preparing for tournaments. That doesn't make a lot of sense. But it just seems like I do so much better when I'm completely like, like, I brought four decks with me. And I'm like, well, I'm playing one of these. I'll choose the night before. And I did. And I had never played games with the deck before, and I, I don't know. I don't. I honestly don't know what to say. It seemed like it worked out fine. So I, I think I have an explanation for this. Um, is that sometimes you like get in your own head too much testing, and you don't put enough faith in like your just actual ability to play Magic well. So you like next level yourself out of having reasonable decisions in your deck by like you know justifying why this is there and why that's there, and when you don't prep. You just end up with like some stock list and you just play tight. <laughs> That's the only thing that you're capable of because you don't have any other knowledge to go off of. So you're not teching anything. You're not over preparing. You're not like meta gaming or whatever. <laughs> you're just playing like ABC Magic well with a list that's already proven itself. And uh, I don't know. Yeah, sometimes that, that works out better than, than being on the next level. That previous level is still good sometimes. Yeah, I know. I know what you're saying. And like, the fact that I didn't really know my deck means I'm learning just basic operations of it as I'm going through my games, and that kind of sharpens me up a little bit, right? I'm like, I have to pay attention to literally every decision. Like, there's a capability for a mistake in every single decision decision I'm making, from choosing my lands to, you know, am I playing Chromatic Star or Expedition Map on turn one? Like, all these things, which, like, to some people are probably obvious because they've practiced the deck to death. To me, I'm literally learning as we go along, and it seemed to sharpen me up for whatever reason. I thought I played pretty well. I mean, like, I definitely punted here and there due to unfamiliarity. It was more format unfamiliarity than deck unfamiliarity, to be, to be honest with you, though. So You're I, off I, autopilot, I right? You're just off autopilot completely. Right. You don't know what's going on, which right. sometimes, sometimes that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, Vince, we'll, we'll let you go. Uh, please plug... Where can they find out more about your shop and where is it exactly located once again so, so people can come and, and visit you? Yeah, uh, probably the easiest way to find out more is to just up on um, Wave Game Cafe on 
Uh, <laughs> Rob, Rob, just show the shirt. Literal, <laughs> literal worst time to start breaking up and not making any sense. <laughs> I'll, let, I'll, I'll, let, I'll do the selling. <laughs> just, okay. just, just Google Waypoint Games and Cafe uh, in in Dundas, Ontario. And you'll, you'll find it. Okay. Thanks a lot, Vince. Sorry that uh, your your Wi-Fi is too choppy, and hopefully you'll work on that. And we love you. We miss you, and uh, we hope to get you back on at some point. Um, so there we go. That was that was Vince D'Agostino, Dagger Four for Waypoint Games. Uh, super excited to see that he started opening up his his game uh, game cafe, and we'll see how it goes. We'll check in with him in, in a few months to see how things are going down there. And uh, joining us, replacing Vince and with better internet, is Casual Ginger. How's it going, Derek? Things are going well. Uh, I don't know if I can really replace Vince. He's sort of a one-of-a-kind kind of person, but I'll try my best to fill his shoes. <laughs> All right. We'll jump straight into the formats. People really care about what our opinions on heading into this weekend, especially with many, many places having PPTQs and uh, Brian, you jumped. Let's go straight to you. You jumped in and, and played a PTQ with a control list, with a saucing control list. Uh, tell us all about it. Yeah, I played blue black control uh, in this weekend's Moto PTQ. I did not do well. Uh, I timed out in a match, as I'm prone to do. But I think the deck was on point. Um, things have gotten to the place now where a lot of the buzz everyone was talking about, like Brad Nelson's Sultai list, which is very much trying to like position itself against other mid range decks and. You know, it seemed like the time was right to just go over the top. And one of the things that really, again, I didn't, I didn't prepare a lot. I switched decks 30 minutes before the tournament. But in those 30 minutes, I made my brother play me a couple times, and he was playing mono red in the PTQ. And I'm like, I just want to see how this matchup is, because I feel like in the absence of uh, Ramanap Ruins and with the addition of uh, the, I'm forgetting the name of the spell, uh, Black Colorless, Target creature gets minus two, minus two, you gain two life. Moment of craving. Um, with the addition of that card, I, I thought that maybe the blueback control matchup had finally gotten positive against Mono Red. I played a few matches. It felt like it had swung in Blue Black's fla- favor. That made me believe that it was just primed to beat up on all these mid-range decks. And, you know, when people are trying to play things like Vraska or, you know, some decks are having value torrential gear hulks and everyone has the Scarab God. Um disallow essence scatter these cards become really really strong really mana efficient and you're able to leverage you know that mana efficiency throughout the game and just go back to being a search for us counter deck so i thought the deck was excellent um and results kind of bore that out it seemed like this was the top eight was like all red based aggro and control uh some blue black some grixis i think that control has legs going forward I think this format will continue to be cyclical with mono red on top. Um, but there's definitely room to have the best deck every week. Like it's not like just having team or energy gets you to where you need to be in this format. There's room for adaptation. Um, you can certainly see adaptations that would work against the control decks. For instance, I think Mardu vehicles is excellent. If control rises up, that matchup's still really hard. Uh, just to get all of your answers to line up properly with their threats is a challenge. Um, beyond that, also the red-black based aggro list kind of improved their matchup against the control decks by virtue of having things like Scrap Heap Scrounger. So there's definitely room to adapt. Uh, that would be my prediction for kind of like the best deck this week. It's probably some type of red-based aggro that's splashing for something else, be it either the Mardu-based 
or the just like you know scrap heap scroungers and some of the license integrations here or there. Um, but the format remains good. I, I'm really pleased with it. Rob, Rob, I'm excited to hear what you think because uh, Brian is, is talking about how there's ways you can adapt, but with Monorail still on top, uh, we started when we focused on standard to show a new standard. We had talked about all of us on the cast. I think in unison thought Mono Red was, was enemy number one. And even in the First Strike Nation group, we kept saying, play Mono Red, just play Mono Red. Which deck to play? Play Mono Red. And then it wins this PTQ. So what were your thoughts? Like, just play Mono Red? Yeah, so um, the Mono Red deck that won... You're talking about the online PTQ, not the PTQ that Brian played them, right? So the Mono, the mono Red deck that played... Um, sorry, that, that won the PTQ online actually did uh, the correct evolution for that week. So I, I, I've been playing Mono Red since I got back into Standard, which was um, immediately after me uh, getting just rolled uh, at the GP a week ago or whatever it was. Um, and I had very good success for like the first four or five days. And then the metagame kind of adapts and people start playing more Magma Sprays. They start playing more Moment of Cravings, the control decks, kind of like figure out a way to like not be um, like a 40, 40, 60 underdog to, to mono red, right? Like I was losing to uh, a lot of blue, black or Grixis. They just kind of like had, had figured out what their game plan is, which, you know, that that's good. That's what you want from a, a standard format, really. Um, and then, so this red, black, they did, did exactly what Mardu does against control, right? They play scrap each grandeur. They play unlicensed disintegration to make it just like really bad to be playing uh, gear hulks against them. Um, and then just like are able to push the advantage uh, well enough. Like the the controller just doesn't have enough Frasca's contempts to kind of deal with scrap heap scrounger, um, Chandra out of the board, rekilling Phoenix, scrap heap scrounger, and and Hazard. Right. So something you just have to stick something and keep beating down with it, and then uh, you know unlicensed disintegration, a scare god, or or torrential gear hulk one time. That's that's usually enough, and that's kind of like what Marta is doing as well. I think that given this deck is here there's probably going to be some more adaptations to uh, to kind of combat what this strategy uh, is doing. Things will probably float back to the mean for a bit, and then um, you'll see the metagame like, move around. I was just, me and Derek were kind of chatting about this <laughs> just a little while ago, and I was like, uh, red-white might be interesting, I kind of like Path uh, of Metal against the token decks, which will probably be on the rise because this black-red and other mono-red decks are doing so well right now. <laughs> So that, that's probably where I would look to start testing if that hypothesis ends up being true, where like you just start playing against a lot of Black White or Obzon or Esper tokens. Um, Path of Metal seems pretty, uh, pretty good against them. Um, yeah, I don't know. This standard is sweet, though. The metagame actually moves. It's a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> thanks. Yeah, thanks for correcting me on that. I, I, I was assuming it was uh, Mono Red. It, it did well, but... The, the version that ended up taking it was Flashing Black for Disintegration main and, and to, to be able to bring back Scrounger and had other black cards in the sideboard. And, but it's cool that you, you just made this, said the same thing as, as Brian in terms of control decks adapting with uh, Moment of Craving and stuff like that. So that's sweet. It, I mean, this is the first standard we've had in a long time where the control deck can figure out a game plan and then the aggro deck can respond to that game plan and then the metagame actually moves. <laughs> Instead of everyone just like being like, hmm, should I play three Harvester or two? 
It's like, oh, I don't know. Do I want Bristling Hydra? Like, should I play the fourth Bristling Hydra? Like, these were the real decisions of of standards, uh, not not too recent, uh, not too recently. <laughs> it's just like so much more boring. Uh, so you're loving it. You're loving yeah, it. It's good. It's good. It's good. Okay, uh, let's get a, a casual perspective. Where are we heading? Uh, I uh, in the next few weeks, I'd probably expect like a lot of tokens. You know, that's the best casual deck. Uh, if you really want to want to not spend a lot of money and you really want to get those uh, anointed processions out there you just gotta copy your cat tokens and gain a bunch of life and that's how you beat the mono red deck this is literally the deck i just played against (laughs) in the in the league i was playing was mono uh mono tokens with main deck cat lord so oh, oh yeah, they're spot the new, on. <laughs> the new lists are playing uh, four of the two drop, the one three. That card blocks all day. You gain a life. You play your anointed procession, and mono red can't deal with it. It's the game's just over. So I think that's actually where the metagame will go. Uh, it also has a good matchup against the control decks, as long as you can stick your spells in the correct order. Like making a token every turn and scrying is pretty busted. So other than that, yeah. Uh, look out for tokens in the future. Hmm. I have a question for Brian, actually, since he's been playing a little bit more standard than I have. Uh, Brian, what are your thoughts on Ixalan's Binding versus Vraska's Contempt? Uh, Ixalan's Binding is underplayed. Like, it's super powerful. It's just that there's there's no good white decks. Like, if you're asking me in a vacuum which card do I like better, I guess it's still Vraska's Contempt just because Glorybringer is such a big issue and like instant speed is a huge deal. But Ixalan's Binding is a great spell. I mean, it, it doesn't see as much play as it should because the cards around it really aren't all that great. Um, it's the best Hazoret answer, though. I mean, how many times have you Vraska's Contempt to Hazoret and just been like, oh, there's another Hazoret? Um, and, and green is severely underplayed right now, and that's kind of the color with the cleanest answers to Ixalan's Binding. So... Um, yeah, it's it's just kind of waiting for a good home, but I don't know. I don't know what that home is. I, I'm not looking to play any Ixalan's Binding deck. I mean, it's probably like the black-white tokens deck, but I really don't want to be playing that deck. I think it's just as soon as anyone cares about it, it's super easy to beat. Uh, even from something like blue-black control, there's outs. I mean, you can play like more consigned dreams. You maximize your negates. Um, and then, you know, if you basically, if you beat the two drop spot like if they don't get anything really efficient out of their two drop spot basically hidden stockpile they can only play one spell a turn and you just reach this point of inevitability where you just like stop everything they do and then you're able to take over the game once you hit turn six turn seven um but they have a very difficult time forcing anything through and granted you need to draw all of your answers like if you draw the wrong cards that's awkward but there's a lot of games where they just can't generate any kind of positive tempo and you just roll over them um so while i i do agree that it seems like a fine call, it won't last for long. You really have to pick your spot very efficiently to succeed with tokens. <laughs> Derek Shrug. I, I think I want to try out like a Jess guy or something like that at some point. I feel like blue-red control has like, I think it's just worse than, than blue-black, but I feel like um, if you can make the mana work, I feel like the white cards uh, can make a difference because other deck does is not just like choked on four drops like uh, like blue black is like going Esper, I don't think it gets you anything. You just already have infinite four drops. Right, that's true. Um, 
I just don't know what you get from red. Like the removal is not that much better than the black removal, especially at this point when Mo- moment of craving has become a really good card. You get like, terminate. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like I think magma spray is the actual draw. Like that's the card that you're really excited about and going to Jeskai. Um, but your end game is just so much worse. Like being able to do be still be a scarab God deck is worth a lot. And you don't have anything that even resembles that if you're playing Jeskai. You just have to be pure Torrential Gear Hulk or your approach, which I don't want to play approach ever. Like, it's just way too easy for every deck to beat approach. It, all they need are negates, and that's it. You can't win anymore. So, and every single like mid range deck has access to them. So, there's really, I don't know what your favorite against. You get like 60% game ones and then 30% game two and three and can never win. It's just miserable. So, I don't know. Maybe there's maybe there's a better like conversion where you just aren't an approach deck anymore. I don't really know what that looks like though. Some kind of transformational sideboard. If there was a good sticky threat, something like a Karanos, or uh, I don't really know what else kind of fits that build. But that's that's the one that comes to mind that that deck would really appreciate in post board games. And there's really no analog in current standard. Yeah, I I agree. It, it does it does need a finisher. I'm just like. I, I feel like there's something there, but yeah, I might be just dreaming. If I find nothing, I'll just be jamming Hazareds, though. It's pretty unbeatable. I, I got a deck for you, Rob. <laughs> sure. Black Constrictor. I was thinking about uh, this earlier. So, if everybody's playing Ixlon's Binding and Verasu's Contempt, if you just play Blossoming Defense, you get one mana to their four mana. And then you can just, like, jam your threats, and... You built this really bad deck for Nationals this year with a card called Built to Last. Blossoming Defense is just green built to last. So basically, it's already up your alley. I, th- I think this deck is your deck. It's all you. It's, it's definitely possible. That, so the only thing I don't like about Constrictor decks is that they really suck when they don't draw Constrictor. Yeah, the thing I don't like about them is they really suck. I would stop right there. <laughs> well, uh, my four trophies would say otherwise. They're just completely... <laughs> Completely underwhelming in every sense. Like they rely on such Okay. Like such perfect draws essentially. They need everything to line up. Blue black control decks. Yeah, but the the problem is worse in green black is that even your optimized plan still folds to a lot of stuff. Like that's the thing. If if blue black does its thing, it's very difficult for anyone to beat. Green black is just like it's kind of underpowered and laughable in the face of all these other things going on at this point. Which is something interesting to say about a deck which has like all these inherent synergies. Like, I don't know. You you have to at least play the Scarab God. That's the problem. And once you do that, your mana isn't good anymore, and you're not efficient in the early game. That's that's why I think like green black is really is really powerful right now because I've been testing standard for the past few weeks, and I've been finding that anything that's not one or two colors, the mana is awful, and you can't play. And so like I've tried to shove four Scarab Gods in a Saltai deck, and you can't do it. You just lose to mono red, or you lose to black red. And so, like, when you go full blue-black, you lose to, like, still concentrated aggro deck. So I think, like, green-black has good removal. I don't think that's true. I don't think, I don't think you're losing to aggro decks as blue-black anymore. Okay. Like, if you're playing stupid stuff like Gifted Aetherborn, you probably are, but that card's unplayable. And, I mean, like, the, the Sultai list that I've seen, um, or, like, blue-black mid-range, I think they would still tell you that they're favored against... The red aggro decks, I actually don't think that's true. I, I think they're underdogs, but if, if you don't play stupid stuff like Gifted Aetherborn, you can definitely remain favored against them. Yeah, I, I mean, like, I haven't played a lot of the blue-black deck, but even just looking at the PTQ results, like, 70% of top 32 is red decks. 
uh, and there's like there's a couple blue black decks which I assume have beaten some red decks along the way. Like I'm sure there's a high concentration of red decks, but I'm also pretty sure like the blue black decks with Scarab God just beat anything that's not Scarab God. No, no, but but what's happening? I mean, you're missing the story of that whole PTQ. What's happening is that the hype deck going into that PTQ was blue black mid range, and yes, those decks weren't beating um, the aggro decks. If if you look at the field, I guaranteed you that the blue black mid range deck was played over blue black control at a ratio of like four to one. I promise you, there was way more blue black mid range. That's all anyone was talking about. It's all you saw in the queues, and it's what I faced in the early rounds. So I know for a fact that like blue black was very heavily played in the mid range configuration. The decks that found success in that PTQ were ones that went to late game control configurations, and that's the differing point. Okay. <laughs> This is peak first strike. Boom. Boom. Get owned. Uh, I I went 0-2 in the PTQ. I just got paired against Black Red both rounds and got ran over. Like Black Red what? Black like Black Red similar to the deck. Like the exact deck that won the like won the event. Like I got paired against that deck round one and that deck round two. Like almost the exact 75, and they just nut drew me both times. And I was like, okay. Yeah, I feel like this deck has a has, would would have a reasonable green black matchup. It's kind of like a well tuned well tuned Mardu deck that doesn't like green black. Yo, you weren't playing green black. No, I was playing Monument. Oh I wow! Monument. Yes, I was trying to break it and I could not break it. Blue white Monument. Blue white Monument. That deck seems bad. It was not bad. I went four <laughs> one like three leagues before. I'm like, this deck has to be okay. I went four one three times. I'm like. Ooh, we're gonna do it, and then I went O two. I'm like, ah, we're selling all these cards. It's good against last week's meta, I guess. But not really. It's good against two years ago's meta. Like, <laughs> right? yeah. uh, spellcaller is good. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. Is good. Uh, Brian, I haven't I haven't seen this deck a lot. Uh, you, you talk about. I think you you mentioned not liking token strategies, but our boy, your boy, Connor Bryant, finished twelfth. With a green green whitelist that I haven't seen before yet, and I don't. I wonder if it's his creation. What do you think about his list? That's very uh, very different from anything I've seen yet. I, I don't think it's his creation. I think he pulled it from the Moto results, um, and I, I think it actually might be Willie Adel's deck, um, but I don't know that for sure. I, I know he's been working with something similar. I think it. You can see why it does well, right? Like it, it should have a decent matchup against Red. Um, because it's able to generate like a lot of life gain and and is able to go really wide and make a bunch of chump blockers and and has outs to Hazaret. It should have a fine matchup against blue black control because for the most part that deck is is skewing sweepers. Like it, it's all about uh, one for one removal and Vraska's contempt and, and things like that. So I, I think it probably did a really nice job of exploiting what was doing well in that tournament. But you could also see where it kind of runs into problems against everything else by just being super underpowered. Um, Glorybringer seems like a problematic card, especially in conjunction with red-based removal. So if there's still like Grixis decks floating around, that's really problematic. Um, I don't know. I think there's also some gotcha with the deck too, like people not playing around the right cards and leaving themselves vulnerable to... What's the pump spell called? I think it's Appeal, right? Is it Appeal to Authority? Yeah, Appeal to Authority. Yeah, so so people not playing around that card properly certainly I I'm sure got him some games on the day where he just like double strike kills you out of nowhere. Right. Um but yeah, I mean I don't I don't think it's a player going forward, but it was probably a a good call for this tournament. Um and 
I don't know. It it could be picked up in slightly larger numbers, but it seems pretty easy to adapt to overall. Um, and another deck. I don't know if we've mentioned it, but what do you see? Is God Pharaoh's gift just not viable? I'm not seeing it in any lists. In any uh, there's a lot of abrades around. I mean, it's the same problem that the deck has always had, where like it's super powerful games are kind of this fiction. Like you don't get to play them too often. Um, you end up playing like this bad fair game and hoping to put your opponent into awkward angles, but your fair game is so bad that it really doesn't push them that hard. Um, and they're able to just focus on, on countering your super busted game. So I don't know. I'm, I'm not into the God Pharaoh's gift list. Um, what are they supposed to be beating? Really? That's what, I, that's never been super clear to me. It's always been like the third deck in the pile, right? Like why it's there, but it doesn't have any reason for being there. It's just like, this is a really powerful thing. If people don't respect it and a braid completely falls out of the metagame, I'm sure it's powerful, but there's a lot of answers to God Pharaoh's gift right now. So I would, I would pass on that. This is a really powerful card. Yeah, that's it. But very, um, like you said, very vulnerable. Uh, Rob, where's your mind at? Like for people playing this weekend, I know that, We're seeing this evolution online, which we might not see in real life. So would your recommendation for, be different for, for people playing at their local LGS for PPTU? I'm pretty sure I would just jam the, the red deck that's splashing black like throughout the rest of this week. Uh, I'm going to be doing that and iterating on it and seeing um, if it stays consistently winning. So far, it's really good. Uh, I've made a, a, a couple of changes that aren't really noteworthy. Um, but just like having access to Scrap Heap Scrounger over Karizev is very nice. Because like Karizev is a target that gets fatal pushed like all the time. Uh, and it just feels really bad <laughs> coming out of that deck. Where like everything you, you have like gets to attack right away so that uh, your opponent can't do anything on their turn without like taking a beating. Um, and playing Karizev just to have it fatal pushed or whatever is just super meh. But playing like Fanatical Firebrand with Scrap Heap Scrounger is is pretty sweet. Uh, you can like pretty much always rely on bringing it back, and I think unlicensed disintegration has also been uh, pretty nice. I mean, that, that card is just like Brian didn't say, <laughs> the nut. <laughs> the I, I do, always I, think of Brian. <laughs> it, it gives me great memories to, to, to cast it. I, I just, I very much love casting unlicensed disintegration. Every time it just feels so damn good. Um, uh, there's there's a possibility that this deck could evolve and become more Mardu-like without the white. Um, there was kind of like a red-black artifacts deck before, but I, I feel like it's missing three-powered creatures at the at the two, one and two-drop slot. So it loses uh, Toolcraft, Motorist, and the three-three Raptor, which seems like it might might uh, keep it back from from going that way. I don't know, but but yeah, I, I would start here. Um, especially if you like anchor decks, I think this one is a much better choice than the normal mono red. Uh, Derek, where, where's your head at for this weekend? Uh, yeah, I'd probably also play the the red black deck. Um, if I was playing a pre DQ this weekend, I actually probably just jam green black constrictor. Uh, <laughs> yes, sure. I honestly think it's one of the better decks in the format. Um, I would say like I've been people have been asking me all the time like what do I think is the best, and I just say red decks, decks with scarab god and like a mid-range strategy with planeswalkers and i think that those those three archetypes are where you want to be in the format like none of those three archetypes have constrictor in them okay well when my deck list is posted (laughs) on magic online a couple days from now 
I'm going to link you the article. I'll tweet it at you so everybody can see. Actually, when they release all the JSTACs also, we can count up the, the like, we can, we can count, like, how much percentage of the meta it is right now. And, yeah, I've been uh, looking. It looks like it's you? about 5%, I think, in modern. You trying to troll me is just trolling everybody else on the internet. Like, they don't... <laughs> Oh yeah, I, uh, well we'll talk about that later. Anyways, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, yeah, that's what, that's what okay, Brian, Brian, where's your hat at? Uh, blue black control. I just think that there's there's room to tune it. Um, best list probably isn't found yet. Um, maybe you could talk me into Grixis. I, I doubt you can make the mana tenable though. So probably just blue black control. All right. Are, are there like any notable changes you'd make from your previous list, Brian? Especially if you think there's going to be a lot of scrap heap scrangers coming out of the Hazard decks. No. Like, are I, there any I, other exile cards that, like, I see this deck doesn't have any what is it called? Scrapyard something. Oh my god, it's in my deck. I can't even remember the name of it. One Scavenging second. Grounds? Scavenging grounds. Yeah. Grounds? Like, do you think there's room like for a card like that in blue? Yeah, you, you could definitely play a scavenging grounds. You could you could get away with that a hundred percent. Um. I'm trying to think like Field of Ruin versus Scavenging Grounds, though. If other people are picking up blue-black control, you definitely need your Field of Ruins, so, so that's tough. Um, it could be a fine sideboard card, though. You could also do like Crook of Condemnation, which is a little yeah. spotty, but I, I don't know. I mean, maybe you just have enough removal where you're okay with just being that deck post board, and, and that's a fine plan. I would at least try it. Um, on its face, it doesn't sound great, but it could be worth considering. Yeah, I, just, I think Tracker is kind of meh. Yeah, I'm not crazy about Tracker either. It's kind of one of those things where I think it's good against the deck I expected a lot of, which was like the Soltai deck, which really heavily leans on its Champion of Wits um, and probably boards out all like non Vraska's Contempt removal against you. Like, I don't see them keeping in fatal pushes against you in post board games. Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, but maybe if the jig's up, then, you know. You just need a, a hard card like Crook of Condemnation. I don't know. That card seems so mopey to me, but I could see it being efficient and, and just like doing a very specific job and doing it well. And maybe that's just what you need to put you over the edge against those decks. So I, I would have to play some games to really figure it out. Yeah, seem, seems reasonable. Can you Sorcerer Spyglass it? Do you know? Like, does, that, does that work like that? It's an activated ability, right? Yeah, I, I don't know about that because it's like not a card in play, right? Uh, I don't know. I can't remember. I, I can't, this, <laughs> judge! <laughs> yeah. You need a judge call on this one. I, I'm not 100% sure. Maybe you can. And then that might be fine, to be honest with you. Because that card's like not the literal works. Right. <laughs> can uh, can blue-black beat Carnage Tyrant? Like, do you no. have a good plan against no, that No, card? nobody plays that card, though. All right, I'm screening <laughs> my sideboard. Let's go. Oh, Let's go. Derek's creating the fourth archetype. We broke it. Carnage Tyrant decks. Heard it here first. When this place ginger story. <laughs> oh, Bantu's Reckoning might be something that, that starts creeping up then. I guess, if the green black, green black decks start... start yeah, there's, there's Doomfall too. It's not like you're without options, but Ugh. it's just nobody plays any of them because Carnage Tyrant doesn't get played. So if you need to adapt to it, you adapt to it. What's more apt is that like there's just a better deck to be playing if people start jamming four Carnage Tyrants again. I don't see that happening anytime soon, though. Green is so awful in the format that it's just not going to be widely played. Look at the, the, Rob, Rob in the lab. Okay, well, we're going to move on from standard for now. Um, 
And to get more of their thoughts, join us in the First Strike Nation Facebook group. Let's jump into Modern. There was a GP in Leon, and there was also an SCG Modern Open in Indianapolis. Um, the results, a lot, of, a lot of people aren't too excited or think, or like Rob, don't think there's much data to be garnered because uh, Bloodbraid Elf and Jace were both not legal for these tournaments. But it was interesting to see in the GP Tron takes mono green Tron specifically takes such a big percentage of the top eight. And I think it's something that is comfortable playing against Jace or Bloodbraid Elf. Um, would I be wrong into, in that assessment, uh, Rob? I mean, uh, like the blue red decks are almost assuredly going to adopt Jace as they move into the new meta. Um, and then. The, like that deck should have a favorable matchup against uh, Tron and the blue white decks that are playing like three or four Field of Ruin and Spreading Seas main deck are also going to be playing Jace as their win con. So I think that in general, Tron will be bad against the weeks, like the week one, like Jace decks or whatever, just because they're either going to be packing Blood Moon, Spreading Seas, or Field of Ruin. Okay. Um, but as it stands now, like, yeah, Tron is, 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 pretty good against other mid-range decks. I think, like, Oblivion Stone and Karn and Ugin all on turn three or four are just stupid. Um, and the deck does that with uh, pretty reliable consistency. Um, I, I wonder, like, I wasn't, in Le- I wasn't in Leon, so I don't really know what was going on, like, in the early parts of of the tournament, but I wonder if just, like, lots of people play played Mono Green Tron, so just kind of, like, floated up because like someone is going to have a nutty day right and if you have so many people playing it they can just get there i don't think the deck is inherently like the best deck in modern even pre-unbanning it's kind of weird i don't know brian if you watched the event at all it's the best deck in modern and blood moon's not good against tron that's that's the thing like nobody understands and I didn't understand until I played Tron and I was like, oh, you just get you're going to lose to Blood Moons all day. Blood I've never lost to a Blood Moon playing Tron now and I have faced many of them. It's not a good card against Tron. They have Oblivion Stone. Like the, this is not a valid game plan when you're trying to play a long game. And even Spreading Seas has the same problem where like their card to answer your card is colorless. It's very easy for them to play it. They have four copies of it, or at least I had four copies of it. Um, I've just never lost to a Blood Moon. It's not as big of a problem as you think it is. Field of Ruin is a a harder card to beat, for sure. That's one of the reasons why these decks are moving to Mono Green, so they're able to go get basics all the time. Um, But, I mean, I I won a bunch... I won a game against Seth Manfield where he Surgical Extraction Myers' Towers, and I was able to just play lands and play Karn. I beat uh, a Blood Moon out of Affinity where it probably hurt him more than it hurt me because he couldn't use any of his man lands anymore. Um, I beat a Blood Moon out of Mardu Pyromancer, where I just like cast my car, and when I hit seven mana, and it's still too much for him. I beat a Blood Moon out of another Mardu Pyromancer deck, where I just cast Oblivion Stone and blew it up. Like, it's I I literally didn't lose to Blood Moon on the day. It's not a difficult card for Tron to beat, and that's one of the things people fundamentally misunderstand. Um, if you're trying, so the effect of Jace and Blood Braid on a macro sense is to kind of move the format more towards the middle, slow down games, let games go longer. Tron excels in long games. And the thing you don't want to see is Tron is burn, which like, uh, I think burn is probably on the uptick. So, so that's fine. Um, The other thing is like storm or any kind of quick combo, which I think the decks you're describing are kind of designed to beat up on. 
Um, but I, I don't think you fear late game control decks, and you definitely don't fear mid range decks. You're happy to beat those up, and I, I don't know. I, I think Tron's probably still in a fine place. It's what I would play into a, a Blood Braid Jace format, and everyone is saying that Jace is not winning in modern. All the people who are very well educated and you oh, know, no. top tier. I'll, I mean, I'll get you a list of people. <laughs> whoa, like Sigrid said it's not winning a lot. I saw Adrian Sullivan post on Twitter saying it's not winning a lot. There's just a huge list of very successful players saying that Jace is not winning in modern, and I'm completely unsurprised. Like It doesn't line up well with a vast majority of the format. And if you know that Jace is the thing you have to beat, it's very easy to beat. It's just not difficult. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I completely agree. This was like our whole argument, uh, like from my perspective, since kind of the beginning of this Jace discussion. Yeah, the the I, funny thing is, like, if you listen to people on the, the Twitter sphere or Facebook talking about how crazy Jace is going to be, their arguments are like they're putting Jace in deck X. Like I saw someone post, I think it was it was. KYT's buddy Snare was like, they're even putting Jason Affinity. This is out of control. It's too good. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, that doesn't mean that it's good. It was a good choice. That's probably a terrible choice. <laughs> I was like, I'd be very surprised if that deck is good. <laughs> Affinity Jace. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, maybe Scape Shift and the control decks get a little bit better. And they needed to because those decks suck, so... Brian loving the the Tron. Uh, Brian, you weren't on when I think last week when we talked when I asked you, uh, Rob, about his thoughts when Corey Burkhart uh, did his um, deck tech on having zero Serum Visions in his seventy five for for Griska's control. I've been trying to schedule him on the show, but lots of uh, scheduling conflict. But his like what he said on the deck tech and what he says in his article is is really interesting to me. Like, let's face it. Serum Vision is not preordained, and it's not even close to Ponder. Serum Vision is really underpowered. Modern is all about having the right card on the right turn. You don't have time to sink your mana and not cast your spells until you reach the real late game, and you've prevented the opponent from enacting their main route to victory. Thus, spending a mana on turns two before to set up for a future turn, that's just not what I'm in for with a blue control deck. What solidified this for me was when showed up 5-0 with a list with zero copies of Thought Scour or Serum Vision in his deck. I was already looking for a reason to cut certain visions, but this really pushed me to try cutting them for basically any other cards in Magic. Still wouldn't cut Thought Scouts, though. I thought this was like a hot take, and I had Rob think that it was maybe too big of a hot take. Do you think it's a secret cow that people could actually consider cutting? Yeah, I mean, Corey builds Grixis lists better than anyone else. His, of the four decks I brought with me to GP Toronto, one was Tron, one was Bogles, one was Corey's exact Grixis list from the Pro Tour, and the other was like Traverse Death Shadow, which I was never seriously considering playing. But I, I think Corey has been building the Grixis deck better than anyone else for a very long time now. He understands what it's about. And, um, you know, having played with the deck a bunch, I, I just agree with him. You don't need Serum Visions in the deck. It, it's not important for the way the deck functions. Uh, agree again on Thought Scour. I think a lot of your, like, High pressure games, you're relying on Thought Scour to set up early. Um, I, I think his list still plays Tassiger, which I think is correct for him. Um, but you're very relying on that card being on the board early to be able to uh, move very quickly against the fast decks. So, um, yeah, I, I can buy it. He's he's a really good deck builder, especially when it comes to this archetype, which he's kind of like taken on as his own. There's a reason he wins and no one else does. He understands it. He understands what's important. And b- rather than being like, oh, this guy doesn't get it. 
well, he's just been dominating with the stack for like two years now. I'm going to take his advice until I see something, um, you know, hard and fast on the other side. And if no one else is winning with Grixis control, I'd put a lot of money on him being right in this in this case. So I, I agree with him. Derek, well, what were your thoughts on modern? Um, now that you have to go in hiding, as Jace doesn't do doesn't perform well. Uh, I, I think like <laughs> for for sake of argument, there's not enough data out yet. <laughs> Um, I don't know. I'm taking a look at the the modern challenge from this weekend that was on Moto, and the two decks in the finals were Burn and Burn. Um, so I think that really shows that people are over adjust for uh, the new meta game. Um, like, there's a couple. There's a J stack in fourth, uh, a J stack in sixth, and. I think are the only two like same archetypes in top eight. And then there's like uh, the Goblin Lore deck and the Tron deck. And then there's like a couple Abzan decks in top 16. So I think, I think in a couple weeks um, there might be a couple more Jace decks. But uh, maybe the card's not as good as I uh, thought it was. Maybe it's, uh, maybe I was wrong. No, no, but, it's um, definitely... It's definitely as good as you thought it was, Derek. The problem is that the format is better than you thought it was. The format's more powerful, has a higher power level bar than you previously gave it credit. That that may be a more accurate statement on my evaluation. Although we still have a couple more weeks to find out. Because we don't make decisions over one week of data. That's it. Discussion's done. Jace plummets. <laughs> Sell your Jaces. This is <laughs> Sell your Jaces. Everybody thinks Jace great. Sell them. I don't know. I, I think it did exactly what you know. People who really kind of thought about it and didn't overreact um, kind of said, which is it makes control decks a lot more viable, and that's a good thing for modern because the control decks had a real rough go. Um, it, it was like they're like completely at the mercy of the metagame, whether or not they were they were good or not. Uh, so I, I think this is a good change. I do see a lot of Bloodbraid Elfing, though, in a lot of different decks in Modern. Um, that card is quite a bit more popular than I thought it was going to be. Um, it might be just that it gets slots into a bunch of good archetypes already more easily. Um, so that's interesting. There was um, a really cool Teamer Moon deck that was running like three or four Jace that uh, also had Bloodbraid Elf. I just need to find the list here. Sorry, one sec. It was, um, I don't know, worth probably spending a second talking about because it was kind of different. Uh, but basically, he, like, you don't want to run counter spells when you're playing Bloodbraid Elf because uh, it's always garbage. But he has like four ancestral visions, two Asphalt Tolds, three Blood Moons. And then his counter spells are three Is It Charms. So that, like, if you happen to Bloodbraid into them, um, you actually can just, like, either loot or do two damage to something, which I thought was. A really interesting choice. Like I don't know if this deck is is good or garbage, but I thought that having is it charms there, like in your in your teamer deck, as a, as a way to like mitigate just like flipping up a remand with your blood braid elf, is uh, is maybe pretty sweet. So yeah, I, I kind of like a, the, the way this list looks. There's a teamer deck that's not playing moon. There's playing three moon in the board. That's playing two Jace. Uh, four blood braid. It's playing one sword of fire and ice, one sword of light and shadow, and then well, like 
one kitchen finks, four hierarch, two ooze, four goifs, three tracker, one cleek, four vision, two roast, four four serum visions, and then four lightning bolts. And it, it yeah. came twenty sixth in the modern challenge. I mean, these decks were like just completely non-existent <laughs> before the unbanned. Yeah, so yeah, I, I mean, it's like pretty interesting playing. to see that they uh, that they can play ball with the big boys. Yeah, it's good. Modern is also sweet. Car, what do you know? Standard and modern both don't suck, and the the yeah. the draft format's actually kind of decent too. The only thing that sucks is sealed. <laughs> sealed and draft are awful right now. No, draft is fine. Sealed is very awful. Though. I keep playing against climb. I keep losing the climb. It's very frustrating. I hate that card. Yeah, rares are good. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I mean, in, once again, one of the top Reddit threads is uh, the fact that there were r- almost 20k viewers, and max out of 20k viewers watching the GP. So people are hyped about modern, and I think, as a fan of the game, I think they should just. They have to feature it more. Just the stats just show that it's the only thing that people like care about by a significant margin compared to the other formats. And uh, I'm glad that right now most people thought, well, at the PT, that Modern was in a good place. And so far, uh, these new car, these unbannings have caused even more excitement for the format. And we haven't seen anything completely take over. So I'm really hopeful about this. That like, not only is it better uh to watch but people like the competitive people are liking the format more including shaheen and things like that so i'm gonna wrap up with some quick questions we won't have time to go over limited with rob sadly no one wants to hear about limited (laughs) a question uh that's one of our uh nation members wanted us to answer was something that was revolving on twitter uh let me Star City Games share player sideboards while Magic Ground Prix share the full main deck. No sideboard. Seems odd. Both can be acceptable. If you had a choice as a competitor, which would you want revealed to potential opponents? And I'll start with Wide-Eyed Derek. Uh, I mean, if, if, I, if I get to show my opponent my sideboard, I get to see their sideboard. So I find, like, it's more important to understand. Like, I don't care as much that my opponent knows what's in my sideboard as I care as what's in their sideboard, specifically in a format like Modern. Um, So I would care a lot less as, like, a competitive player that my sideboard's being shared. Uh, So, like, I, I don't care if Wizards hides it or whatever. So... That's how I probably. I'd have to think about it more. Like that's that's pretty pretty weird, right? Because like, it. I guess it really depends on the format. Like in modern, you have very sideboard specific cards. But like against Tron, like if you're on Abzan, you know you're bringing in your Fulminator Mages. You know you're bringing in your like Stony Silences against uh, Affinity, right? You know you're bringing in your like Graveyard Hate against Dredge. So I don't. I guess it has diminishing returns. Like if you're not bringing in those cards, you're losing anyways. I don't know. Definitely interesting. Yeah, well, the poll, like, uh, the question was, uh, was again, if you had a choice as a competitor, which would you want revealed to potential opponents? Uh, 24% said 15 sideboard cards, 45% said 60 main deck cards, 31% said no opinion. Like, I probably fall under no opinion currently because I don't, like, yeah. Rob, do you have a strong take? I, I think, like, 
it, it's weird. So what is the purpose that they reveal the deck list to the opponent for it at all? They, they don't <laughs> reveal it to the opponent. This is talking about revealing it to the stream. Oh, to the stream. Oh, yeah. okay. I mean, yeah, then I would I want to keep my sideboard quiet for as long as possible. I think the main deck, like, is usually pretty stock. There's not a lot of tech going on there. But the sideboard choices in modern, especially in modern, are very important. Like standard M, maybe it's not as important. But I, I feel like whatever information you can hide um, is beneficial for the players that are actually pushing the needle in terms of, like, innovating. So, you know, trying to give them some incentive to do something that's out of the norm um, is is a good incentive, and like just taking that away by releasing their seventy five, they happen to get featured on camera is kind of like uh, meh, uh, in my opinion. I'd rather they didn't show anything. To be fair, um, you just kind of get to see what you get to see if you're kind of looking. Um, but I understand that that makes it for kind of a poorer viewing experience. But um, yeah. I don't know. There's like disincentive for like actually wanting to be in the feature match area, right? If you're doing something that's very interesting. I'm kind of torn on it. I'll say that I pick an option for. I would rather they didn't show anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was sorry about that. Brian mentioned uh, what, what I forgot to leave out. They were they were specifically talking about Twitch streams, um, and yeah, things would be really boring. Like when I was moving up into competitive, like deck techs were all I was <laughs> excited about for the PT. Uh, Brian, do you, have, do you have any takes on this? Nope, don't care. I mean, show, show my deck list. It, at, at the Star City level, it just like doesn't matter at all. Obviously, at the Pro Tour, they don't show any list. They shouldn't. They won't. That's fine. Uh, at Star City, if you're like watching round, if you're watching on your phone between rounds to try and figure out what I'm playing in my deck, you're terrible, and I'm going to beat you anyway. I don't care. Like that's not. It's just not worth the time investment. And it's like, I don't know. Uh, who, nobody it's not it's a problem that doesn't exist like nobody's sitting around doing that if they are i don't care i'll give you i'll hand you my deck list like it really doesn't matter to me um i i think this only matters at the pro tour level and then there you you just can't show deck lists um unless we start getting to like you know isolated pro tours which i don't know there's there's some merit behind but on the whole this hasn't been an issue because they don't show deck lists until top eight and then you have everyone's list so it doesn't really matter all that much so i i think this is just kind of a non-issue for the time being i mean J- jerry didn't care no it, i mean it just doesn't matter like I, <laughs> look at the success he's had giving away his deck list the secrecy that people still keep with their deck lists is completely bonkers especially like anything but if you're hiding a deck list for anything Besides a pro tour, you're ridiculous. I, I don't know what you're doing. And look, I used to do it. Like I used to think it mattered and like hide my deck list. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. You're just not helping yourself by hiding your deck list. Um, only at the pro tour level does it matter. And then we see very clear evidence that maybe it doesn't matter there either. So I don't know. People are, are way too into the secrecy thing. Sorry about you, Rob. I don't know. Like, I. Like Jerry had one blood, no, two blood moons in the main or whatever, right? In his Pyromancer deck, I think. Like, if I'm Tron, I'm going to play differently if I know that that's the case, potentially, right? Or I'm going right, to But against good opponents, like, they're going to make that assumption anyway. Like, it, it, just because you know exactly how many copies there are, like. No, but if there could be zero, right? Like, he could also play zero, 
right? He could have done that because he's like, oh, everyone assumes I have Blood Moons in the main deck, so there's really no point in playing them because like everyone just fetches their basics, and it, it is what it is, so why do I need to waste these two slots on cards that like, aren't going to matter too much? And, that, and once they know you don't have it, it just like, it just changes the way some some matchups play out sometimes. I agree that it's marginal and almost no one is ever affected. Right. Um, if there's one person in the world who's affected by it, it's probably Jerry, and he just finished second at the Pro Tour. Like, literally anyone else, like, <laughs> the, 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 like, hundred or so people who are in First Strike Nation can have my deck list anytime they want. Like, it, it's not affecting anything. It just isn't. There's, there's not enough reach. He's literally, like, one of the few people with enough reach to do that. And honestly, like, well, no, I can't say that. I, I okay, do know that. I actually have an anecdotal story. It, it doesn't really, it sells my point just a little bit, but it's kind of a fun tale anyways. <laughs> um, so at Nats, uh, I played that red-white vehicles list that was like running no removal in the main, no unlicensed integration, and just like four built to last. That was the only tech in the deck. And the reason was to like, there was so many fatal pushes into braids that I wanted to basically counter them, like Blossoming Defense, my Heart of Kirins, to get in for six. And I played also two Key to the City so that I could, you know, do that first ten points of damage and then I'd get in for the last ten with the, the keys or whatever. So um, me and two other people were on the on the deck list, and someone played Jessica, who was playing the deck, in like round one or whatever, and they played me three rounds later <laughs> and was like, you know, opened up the match and was like, you know, kind of cordial chatting, and she's like, you know, oh, oh, like you know Jessica, right? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. And then as soon as I played my heart, he immediately uh, abraded it, and I was like, okay. He's like, uh, I was like, well, you know, what's <laughs> what's up with that? And he's like, oh, I know you guys are playing built to last. I was like, yeah, cool. <laughs> the jig is up, <laughs> and like it, it, you know, it's not that it, it, I lost the match because of it, but I lost that game. Because the guy was just like, I know that I shouldn't let you tap your dualcraft exemplar uh, first. I should just get that thing out of the way now and not try and mise some extra value because I'm going to kind of get blown out. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It, it, it just matters in, in some corner cases, right? Like if, you're really, if your deck is really teched out, I think it matters. Oh, all right. Any, anyways. Tell the Manic Veil story. You be Toronto. Monterey. GP Toronto. You, you told me this story one time where you found out your opponent's deck list. They were like some grinder and they had this new sideboard tech for bringing in uh, oh, Batterskull. No, I was, I was just walking up. I was, I was walking uh, to my match and someone was like, oh, who did you get pair against? And I was like, oh, uh, Hoenn. And you go, they go, oh, he has batter skulls out of the board. And I was like, okay, cool. It's like, whatever. <laughs> and uh, I was playing, like, some garbage mono-red deck. He was playing, like, a real, like, blue-black deck. And uh, and so as I was sideboarding, I was like, oh, maybe... Like, I have all these dead cards in my deck. Like, maybe I should bring in these stupid Manic Vandals. And he just, like, slams a turn five batter skull, and I respond with Grey Ogre. And it's just like, that, that's game. <laughs> Uh, anyways, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Knowledge is power, Brian. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> Alrighty. We'll wrap up the show. Shouts to our first right producers, Jonathan Good, our super judge that answers questions in our group as well. Uh, Kyle Smirchik, Jay Thomas Eaton, Sasha Papo, Derek Pike, Matthew Kelly. Hey, Matt. Uh, Adrian Murchison and uh, 
shout out to everyone supporting the nation. Again, still in pre-production in terms of merch, but uh, I think we should get some progress sometime. In, I should hear some progress in the middle of the week. And of course, if you join the nation before this month, within this month, um, I will make sure that anyone that joins is in is a member gets a small discount. I can't promise what that discount will be, but we're probably I'm probably looking at at least ten percent, probably fifteen percent uh, in terms of merch. So for everyone that's been supporting us since the beginning, so I gotta give a special something to everyone in the nation and. Uh, Anything else you guys want to say, uh, Brian? We missed you. We missed you, man. This was an awesome episode, especially you going off against Derek. That was amazing. Well, Derek made it very easy to go off on him, <laughs> but uh, I am I am happy to <laughs> happy to be back um, again. I will try to be here more often. I I can't promise, unfortunately. Um, I will say that I've been playing a lot of Legacy lately. And I am in love with Turbo Depths, which is not something I think would happen. But that deck is sweet. Um, it's kind of like puzzle magic, where you have to find really intricate lines and, and find ways to play around everything. And I really like it. So I'll I'll give a thumbs up for Turbo Depths right now. Mm-hmm. Turbo Depths. Okay, Derek. Yeah, I don't really have a lot to say. Really, uh, <laughs> you know. Okay, a bunch of L's. Uh, yeah, <laughs> L column more yeah, more. I didn't lose a PTQ finals this week, but I'm getting ripped apart on the podcast. So it's probably the same thing, right? <laughs> more L's for Derek. <laughs> Hoping for a W once more data arrives. <laughs> yeah, I just want everyone to know that Derek should have won that PTQ. I kind of reviewed his match in the finals, and I feel like there were some questionable plays that <laughs> resulted in losing game two. Uh, so that that's unfortunate. Just, I wanted the world to know that we're watching you, Derek. We're keeping you honest, and we're helping you requalify. That's all. You got to stay humble. If you, if you <laughs> don't stay humble, your your ego gets inflated, like Rob here. Hey, I, I'm I'm just actively bad at magic right now, so I got oh, I got to make sure that everyone I can take my bad luck and and just push my energy into other people so that they can do well. <laughs> All right, shouts to people in the chat. Matt Mendoza, Sergio Ferry, Jeff Bugenhagen, of course, P. Sams. For those who are interested in joining the nation, it's once again patreon.com slash first strike. For Brian, Derek, Rob, and myself, we will see in Dagger 4. We will see you next week. Shout out, guys. Have a good one. And remember to thumbs up on the video if you liked it. 